Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the Drum Shuffle. This is episode number 15. Jamie Eads joining you as always. I want to thank you again for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. We have a great show today. Um, I grew up with my older brother, Doug, who is 13 years older than me, and his all-time favorite band uh, is REO Speedwagon. So I grew up hearing REO Speedwagon music quite a bit uh, in my formative years. So uh, to say that I was excited to be able to have Brian hit from REO Speedwagon would be an understatement. So we're going to be joined by Brian here in just a second. So everybody, please stay tuned. Lost Cabos drumsticks may be the best kept secret from drummers today. Lost Cabos Drumsticks makes the finest tools to touch a drummer's hands in the business. The best news, almost every popular stick size is available in both white hickory and red hickory. If you don't know what red hickory is, it's made from the heartwood of the hickory tree, unlike regular white hickory, which is made from sapwood. Red hickory drumsticks will hold up to even the hardest hitting drummers. Their durability comes from the density of the wood, but they do not sacrifice the feel. Please visit LosCabosDrumsticks.com to learn more about their products. And don't forget to ask at your favorite retailer for Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys, we've got a great conversation for you today with Brian Hitt. Uh, of course, Brian has spent the last 28 years in REO Speedwagon. Uh, Brian worked also with the Spencer Davis Group. Uh, he also uh, spent some time in Wang Chung, which was just a huge band uh, in the in the mid 80s. Uh, but Brian has been out on the road every year for the last 28 years with REO Speedwagon, which is just one of the the great rock and roll stories. And Brian was very generous with his time and we were able to catch him uh, in his hotel as he had just flown in to a show site and was getting ready for the the next day's activities they are out on the road so please pick up a ticket go out and see REO Speedwagon Uh, so without further ado here's Brian Hitt from REO Speedwagon good evening Brian how are you today I'm doing very well, thank you. Good. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and coming on the drum shuffle. We really do appreciate it. Ah, uh, no problem. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, I know that uh, the the speed wagon is out on the road. You guys are doing dates with uh, with sticks, and I know that you literally just flew out to <laughs> to a, a show site. So again, we do appreciate it, um, Brian. What we typically like to do. Um, tell our listeners, you know, where you grew up and how you got into music. Well, I grew up in a town of about 900 people in deep east Texas. It's called the Piney Woods region. And uh, <clears throat> there wasn't much around there but pine trees and chickens and uh, more pine trees. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, I grew up in southern Kentucky um, on a dairy farm, of all things. So it sounds like we have similar backgrounds. Yeah, uh, possibly. So a yeah, town of, it was very rural where I grew up. Yeah. So a town of 900, what was your first exposure to uh, to rock and roll? Um, well, I, you know, um, my family was pretty musical. Uh, everyone played instruments. My mom played piano by ear. Um, her father, my grandfather, um, played piano. You know, I don't ever recall hearing him play. Um, he died fairly young at about 62 years old when I was about six or seven, I guess. So, um, and he'd been sick for a few years. And I, I don't remember him ever sitting down at the piano and playing, but I, from what I understand, he was, he was pretty good. And then, um, you know, my mom, uh, you know, I was one of seven kids. I was towards the end. I was number five of seven and all the, all the kids played instruments. My oldest brother played trumpet. Uh, my oldest sister played clarinet. My next two brothers played trumpet. And then came me, <laughs> the black sheep. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not playing no stupid trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I think I came out of the, you know, out of the uh, womb uh, banging on stuff. Uh, I just always loved uh, drums. I, I remember having a little tin drum really early uh, as a kid. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure what happened, but one of the siblings uh, got sick and threw up on my drum. Oh, and I remember my mom, instead of just cleaning it, she threw it away. <laughs> it was like, what? Oh, no. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was it was traumatic. I I swear it, it scarred me for life. Well, so. yeah. well, I mean, luckily you uh, you chased it and, and and found another kit somewhere along the way. Well, yeah, yeah. This, I mean, this is you know, I was probably three years old. I mean, this was one of my earliest memories. So, um, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, and then. Um, so we, we all started band, you know, in the fifth grade in school. And, uh, we, you know, it was a decent band program. We, you know, there every year or so we'd have a different band director for for a while. And then uh, when I came up, um, you know, I remember um, playing on a board. The, the band director wouldn't even let us play on a drum. Of course, um, you know, when they... Uh, you know, announce that, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, suggest, you know, uh, people going out for a band. And then, of course, you know, drums are real appealing for most kids. Uh, you know, there were more kids wanting to play drums than any other instrument. And uh, so I think it was one way of weeding, weeding out the people who were kind of serious about it right off the bat. Because we played literally on a two-by-four stretched across um, the backs of two, uh, you know, fold, folding metal chairs for like, I don't know, probably half the year oh, wow. until we you know, get, got some, uh, you know, some uh, dexterity and, you know, and stuff. So it, it would kind of, you know, so by the end of that, there was only, I think I was the only one left. <laughs> I wow. was the only, only drummer. And, uh, <clears throat> And uh, being such a small school, um, 
by the sixth grade, you were in the high school band, not in the beginner band anymore. So um, in the sixth grade in, in uh, junior high, I was the, first, the, the one and only snare drummer in the high school band. So it was sink or swim pretty quick, you know. Um, well, sure, yeah. I mean, if you're first chair right off the bat, I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the only chair. That was the thing. <laughs> so, yeah, it was nowhere to go but up from there, you know. So, yeah, it, and I was really small, too. I was tiny. And uh, I was, you know, I remember <clears throat> my mom taking me to... Uh, back to the band director after the first year because, you know, we were going to start marching, marching band in the sixth grade. So, um, and, you know, that, that snare drum, was those marching drums are pretty big. And I was, I, I really was a tiny kid. And um, so my mom talked to the band director and was trying to get, you know, me and him to agree to change instruments. I think she wanted me to play saxophone or something. I just put my foot down and said, no, if, if I can't play drums, I'm not playing anything. So, <clears throat> sure. um, my, my mom was not real supportive of drums. Let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, so, most moms anyway. aren't right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably not. Probably not. So, but anyway, I, I managed to uh, grow a little bit. I uh, learned how to march with that drum and play it. And, uh, you know, never looked back. So, so, you know, being from, you know, a small town doing the kind of the marching band thing, uh, you know, at, at some point I, and I don't know this, but did, you know, uh, marching band, did that lead you to college? Did you, um, did you study music in college or did you kind of leave small town, Texas for the big city to, to chase the rock and roll dream? Like so many of us do. Well, um, it, you know, I was fortunate enough, uh, I think in my, I think uh, it was probably my eighth grade year, um, uh, and we got a, a new band director, and he was kind of a long-haired, hippie-type guy, and in a small town in, in northeast Texas, that was like, oh my God, people were freaking out. This is <laughs> like 1967. 68. Um, so it was a very conservative area. And, you know, this guy came in and he, he was just great. He was great. Um, um, he, you know, I, I pretty much owe my career to him. Uh, he wasn't a drummer, but he, he just turned the, our, our music program around at the school. And we went from being a real mediocre band to uh, my sophomore year. We were second in the state of Texas uh, in Class A schools uh, for contests. You did marching contests, you did concert contests, and then you did sight reading contests. So if you aced all of those, then you, you got thrown, you know, it was called sweepstakes. You, you won sweepstakes. And so we did, and then they submitted the tapes to uh, the state finals, and uh, it was it was really a big deal. We, we you know, I think the 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 band that that uh, won first, uh, you know, because we got second, was they had 105 members. I think we had 42. Oh wow! You know? <laughs> so, 
So, but it was great, you know, and I remember him, um, you know, taking me under his wings and, uh, you know, showing me a lot of stuff. We, had, You know, I played in the jazz band in school and we did, you did the marching band, you did concert band, you know, you did did everything, you know, the pep rallies. I remember playing on, you know, like um, boats going down the river, you know, playing Dixieland music, uh, you know, with a small combo from that band. And then um, what happened with me is about uh, when I was about 15, I guess, um, my two older brothers were trumpet players and they <clears throat> they had um, joined a band um a soul band. It was it was called the Solid Souls, and they were playing, you know, um, every weekend pretty much um, playing gigs, um, you know, CFW halls and you know uh, veterans things and you know dances here and there, small time stuff, and it was really a pretty good band. Uh, they played all you know. Um, soul music, you know, James Brown, Sam and Dave, Wilson Pickett, Otis Redding, that kind of stuff. Um, I got better than their drummer, and I think he was starting to give them a little bit of trouble, and so they fired him and hired me. So at 15, I, I was in a in a band with guys, you know, all older than me, and uh, we were, you know, working, making money and stuff, and I bought a motorcycle and you know well yeah because what uh, what else does a drummer do with his money besides buy a motorcycle right (laughs) (laughs) of course (laughs) you know a a life of great decisions you know the first being i'll be a drummer right (laughs) right yeah yes of course so well it had to be cool then i guess you know playing with your brothers as as a young guy i mean and you know kind of cutting your teeth that way because, I mean, you know, I, we're all in, you know, garage bands or whatever as young guys, um, but your older brothers will will really beat up on you a little bit, you know, if you're not, <laughs> you know, if you're not playing the groove exactly the way they want it. So I'm right. sure I'm sure that yeah, was well, super formative for you. Yeah, it really was. You know, I mean, was I towing the line? Probably not. But, you know, I mean. But, you know, we were we were high school kids, you know, and and younger. You know, I think I just started high school when I joined that band. So, you know, so I was uh, we did it for like two years before. Um, And then uh, my mom remarried and moved to Alaska and I stayed uh, living with my grandmother with my two older brothers um, in Texas for a year. And, you know, because I had, you know, I loved the school band and I was very involved in that. And then I, we had the solid souls I was working and making my own money and I didn't want to move to Alaska. So, um, I stayed, you know, in Texas and, you know, not much supervision and kind of running wild and, you know, just doing things that kids do. And, uh, after about a year of that, uh, you know, the law came down that, uh, you are going to Alaska, <laughs> you know, it, and as it turns out, it wasn't a bad deal for me. Uh, the solid souls broke up. My band director left, you know, that school and, uh, it wasn't much around there for me anymore. So yeah, I made the big move to Alaska, which for me was, you know, it was, uh, I moved to Anchorage, which is, uh, about 250,000 people at that point. So that to me was a big city cosmopolitan. I mean, it was like happening, you know? So yeah, I moved up there, went to, you know, uh, finished high school up there in my last two years. Um, 
got in the band program at school. I hated it. It was, just wasn't the same. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't the same. Um, so I, I think I didn't even play in the band my senior year, and I was only in, in school for for uh, half a year anyway. I, I graduated early. I had enough credits, and it was like I'm done. So, and, but then uh, as far as college, I didn't do any college. Um, I went, you know, I mean, for me, um, uh, pretty much right out of high school, um, you know, I did some odd jobs around and then uh, started getting, you know, I, I kind of quit playing for about a year, really, because it just, I, I just didn't like the, the, the program in school there at all. And, you know, I'm just busy you know, with a girlfriend and this and that and working a, a job after school. So I, I just kind of, I quit for a long time. And then um, I'm not sure why or when I got back into it, but shortly thereafter and started playing around with friends more. And it was, it was kind of a drag for me because I'd been in a real professional outfit with, you know, with, I mean, you know, we had a PA system and, you know, Fender band, Bandmaster amps and Farfisa organs and, you know, cool gear and, and we're working and making money. And then to, to go from that to, you know, jamming with, you know, a guitar player in his living room, you know, yeah. uh, at, at his parents' house was not quite the same. So it took me a while to kind of, you know, get get back into the music thing there. But I did. And, um, you know, there were a lot, a lot of opportunities to play. And I got a pretty good band together and we started working. And uh, about that same time, I was I was a mailman right out of high school up there in Anchorage. And, uh, you know, uh, getting up early, I mean, you know, you clock in at 6 a.m. and uh you know, once we started playing bars with with the band, um, the bars in Alaska stayed open till 4 a.m., especially on the weekends. So you would be playing from 9 to 4.30 on the, you know, Friday and Saturday nights. And getting up to go to the post office was not a priority anymore <laughs> for me. <laughs> imagine not. Getting home at 5. So, um, yeah, so I quit the post office and uh, went to, you know, just... But you know, I'm gonna. I gotta give this a shot. So we did, and uh, you know, I starved for a while, but uh, things worked out, and you know, bands got better and started making more money and more money and better gigs, and you know, I stayed up there for ten years, and uh, um, you know, played all kinds. I got to one thing that was great about being a kind of a big fish in a small pond was getting to play a lot of different types of music um you know from like piano jazz trios to you know you name it you know funk funk bands you know rock bands you know i got to do a little bit of all of it so it was was kind of really good for me Sure. Well, I mean, it just makes you a really well-rounded player when you get to play in so many different, you know, situations and groups. That's and, and you know, I, you can speak to it, you know, far better than I can. But when you can cover all those styles, the gigs come so much easier. You know, I mean, if, if you can step into any gig and play comfortably, you're going to get a whole lot more phone calls, no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, there wasn't a, a whole lot of competition. <laughs> it wasn't that I was that good. It was just there wasn't anybody else that was much better either. So it was kind of, you know, uh, 
I just happened to be in the right place at the right time a lot of times. Sure. But, you know, I took it seriously, and I learned a lot from all of those gigs. And, uh, you know, finally, so I moved to Alaska in, in 1970, and then I made the big move from there in 1980 to L.A. And you... You know, obviously, you've played with a, a lot of different folks. I mean, you know, I think you're probably most well known for the years that you've spent now in REO Speedwagon. Um, but, you know, what were some of the gigs that you landed when you were in L.A.? I, I understand that at one point you were actually playing with Cher. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. So was, yeah. was was that kind of right out of the gate when you got to L.A.? I'm, I'm sure there were some struggles that led up to that, right? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, I pretty much starved for a while in L.A. It was, uh, you know, I knew one person there, uh, my ex-girlfriend, who we got back together when I moved to L.A., and we started a band, uh, you know, just a, you know, cover top 40 band and started playing little gigs and stay, you know, and then that got better and better. And so, uh, but I, I remember a few times in, in a, in a few clubs that, that I just wouldn't be caught dead in now playing, you know, for like people and making and, uh, just, um, you know, thinking, man, how much longer can I do this? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I was ready. I remember one night in particular, I was ready to throw in the towel, you know, and uh, luckily I didn't. I kept, kept, kept working at it. And uh, in L.A., while I was here early on, I did, uh, I um, started uh, going to L.A. City College and playing in the big band there. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years, and I looked up some good teachers uh, after a few years, and I studied. I had one lesson with Joe Picaro, and then, uh, I, I, you know, at that time I was playing a traditional grip, and he just he he said, man, you should just switch to match grip. And I was why? <laughs> you know, I didn't get it. It, it took me a couple of years to, to get it, and then, you know, uh, Joe right you know because uh well you know later on that's that's the route i went and uh i'm glad i did switch over um and then i i i was on on a waiting list to study with um terry Bazio and also with um um oh geez i can't oh ralph humphrey oh wow you know, okay from, uh, yeah and uh, I'd been waiting for Ralph for a long time, and then I, I called, you know, then I, I got tired of waiting, and then I, I called Terry, and Terry said he could take me. And then I swear to God, that same day, Ralph called me and said, well, okay, I can, I can take you now. So <laughs> That's called, the way that always works. Terry. Yeah, so I called Terry up and told him, hey, man, you know, I told him the story. I've been waiting to study with Ralph for a long time. So um, that was great for me. I'll tell you what, uh, just uh, studying with somebody like that, he, he really, uh, I don't think I would have made it in L.A. With, without that uh, foundation that I got from Ralph. You know, it just started from, from sitting right and, and positioning the pedals and stuff and the snare drum in the right place, you know, and, and you know, and we built it from there. And I remember I had a little uh, kind of a, a jazz fusion thing I was doing at the time, and we we did a, a pretty sophisticated recording, and I thought it was pretty cool, and I, you know, I 
brought it in and played a, a song for Ralph and and Ralph said, you know, Brian, you've got some great ideas here, man, but the time is not happening. <laughs> it's not happening. And you know what? He was right on. It, was, it wasn't happening. So, man, I'll tell you what. I bought me three or four met- metronomes, and I got to work and uh, started, uh, you know, working on the time thing, So, which was a, a godsend for me because, uh, you know, that was right about that time was the advent of drum machines, and everybody got real time conscious. And, uh, you know, if you couldn't play in time, then you, you just had no, no business being there. So that, that was great. So, yeah, I got a lot from Ralph for sure. I studied from him for about a year, and then, Things things started popping for me in L.A. Uh, uh, you know, I worked through a bunch of top forty bands. Uh, we were on like the the main circuit in L.A. Uh, in town, playing clubs. You know, making good money. I mean, it was it was the top of the heap as far as that went. But it was all playing cover tunes. Um, so um, we got a band together with some really good players and. Um, started working on original stuff, but also playing clubs. And then we got, you know, so we, cause there was no way to keep those, that caliber of players together for that long uh, and not make any money. So we, we played clubs at night and we, we got on that, the really good circuit again. So we were making some change and, um, you know, and we got a record deal, you know, in about a year's time. And, um, the band went on and uh, we made a record and um, it went plywood and our singer got too big of a head. He thought, well, since we're, we're, you know, we're signed to a record deal and stuff, we can't play top 40 clubs anymore. So then we <laughs> proceeded to start for a while. Um, and then uh, after about a year of that, it was like, man, I got to do something. This, this is not, this isn't happening for me. So I quit the band and uh, I started working for the drum doctor in LA um, doing, doing cartage and setups for, for guys. And one of my guys was Jeff Caro and I used to set up Jeff and sometimes uh, Keltner, Jim Keltner, I'd set up oh, him. Wow. Sometimes Vinny, Carl Yuda. So I was, you know, even though I wasn't playing, I was still surrounded by, the music thing and the drum thing. And I learned a lot about drums sound, sound wise, and especially vintage drums. Cause a lot of the stuff, uh, that Ross at, uh, drum doctor would rent out were vintage drums that just sounded great. Yeah, everybody but, wanted to use them. So, well, I mean, Ross uh, Garfield was just, you know, royalty in terms of, you know, studio rentals out there. I mean, anytime a band was in one of the studios and needed a certain sound, you know, Ross was the, you know, the, the a call, right. I mean, and, and oh, you yeah. were, so I'm sure you learned sure. at the, at the hand of the master, so to speak. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there for very long. Thank goodness. Um, uh, about that time, I, I, as a matter of fact, I was setting up Jeff Picaro one day in the studio, and uh, uh, Peter Wolf, um, not not the singer from Jay Giles, but Peter Wolf, the keyboard player from Zappa, and uh, he produced. Uh, yeah, I mean, he played with everybody and produced. You know, Lionel Richie. He just uh, done the Wang Chung, the, the new album um, for them, um, and. Um, for some reason, I, I, I don't, 
I, Jeff probably just assumed I was a drummer, but I had really cool hair. And, uh, <laughs> you know, P- Peter Wolf didn't care if I could play or not because we were just going to go on and do some TV shows. We did Solid Gold and American Bandstand and stuff. And uh, I'll never forget. Um, so I got, you know, I just got a call from Peter out of the blue. Jeff had given him my number. And uh, he asked, you know, they asked me if I wanted to do some TV shows with Wang Chong. And I said, yeah. You know, and um, so I went in, you know, I learned the parts really well. And you're playing on dead drums and doubled up cymbals, you know, that, you know, they they were special studio, you know, quiet, quiet stuff, you know, so you could go ahead and and thump, you know, and not make too much racket. So I learned all the parts and, you know, it was was grooving and stuff. And even though we're just, you know, uh, lip syncing, um, we we started the tune on uh you know i think it was um everybody have fun tonight and it, you know and i can nail in the parts and you can hear it clicking back there and all you know the the, the the three main guys and wang chung look back it's like holy this guy's got cool hair but he can actually play <laughs> he's know? actually a drummer yeah. <laughs> so i got the gig i got the gig and uh, i toured with him for the next year and a half or so it was great. That was my first big break. So, sure. Well, and you know, I, so you and I talked the other day when we were, you know, trying to get this set up, and um, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but you know, I, in the legendary career that that REO Speedwagon has had, you know, we we talked about this the other day. You're the longest serving drummer by a long shot in REO Speedwagon. You've been with oh, yeah. with REO since what, 89, 88? Yep. 89. 89, okay. Yeah. So in August it'll be 28 years. Wow. Now, you know, of course, everybody knows REO Speedwagon from, you know, just those big, you know, high infidelity, the monster records of the 80s. You know, they th- that's what they remember. But REO Speedwagon has been around for a really, really long time. You know, and I'm not trying oh, to yeah. uh, I'm not trying to age you, Brian. <laughs> yeah. but, you well, know, I, I, I'm the youngest in the band. It, well, <laughs> of course. Right. Uh, but, yeah. you, you know, prior but not by much. Yeah, but prior to Kevin Cronin, you know, the the lead vocalist, prior to him joining the band, um, you know, there were several records that were out. But tell us a little bit about how you ended up in the REO Speedwagon gig. Well, um, the um, uh, Wang Chung thing kind of fizzled out. Um, They, you know, they weren't touring. They weren't making a record. I did get to play on a few songs on uh, their very last record they did. Um, and then they got Vinnie Colliuta to play the rest, which I understand that. Well, sure. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I get it. Uh, so, but anyway, and I, so I was, I was gigging around town playing a lot of gigs, man. I had a lot, a lot of irons and a lot of fires and, you know, things were happening uh, for me. I was doing, you know, a good bit of studio work, both programming and playing, um, and I, I was playing a lot with Spencer Davis, Spencer Davis group, and we were doing weekend flyouts and it was a good band and, uh, you know, just make some cash and, you know, play some cool songs. And, but I had three or four other, you know, things, uh, bands, you know, not of that caliber in town. And I, um, 
I remember um, going to a share audition and I met a guitar player who was auditioning and he got the gig. The first time I played with Cher, I didn't get the gig, um, you know, which was no big deal for me. Um, and then, but, um, so I was doing the, the Spencer thing and a lot of other things. And, uh, Dave, the guitar player who's got the share gig and who has been in REO now for 28 years with me, he's, he's about three months, my senior in the band. <laughs> So, so I'm the new guy. We, we're both new guys, but I'm the newest new guy. You're the real the new, new guy, guy. right? The, the, the really, really <laughs> new guy. So, so anyway, so I was recommended. Um, I was, I was uh, recommended by Dave, and I was also recommended by Kevin's uh, girlfriend at the time, who was working for Geffen Records, and uh, I was playing with this really whacked out band. Um, and we were showcasing for Geffen and Lisa saw me playing uh, Kevin's girlfriend. And I don't know where, where she, where she put together that, that I might fit with REO Speedwagon from the type of music that this particular <laughs> band was playing. Cause it was really, it was really weird. It, I mean, it was weird. I, I had a kind of a, a bastard drum set, you know, some, some electronic pads, a couple of real drums, some pots and pans and doodads and I mean it was really really one of the most different things I've ever done and but she she just kind of you know I don't that nothing happened with that band but she you know talked to me afterwards said you know my boyfriend's band's kind of I think they're gonna need a new drummer (laughs) so I said yeah well you know I'll, I'll check it out and she told me who it was and I, I wasn't that excited. I, I really wasn't a fan of REO Speedwagon at first. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't know the history for some reason in Alaska, they didn't get much airplay. And the, and, uh, the first time I heard of them was when I moved to, to LA in 1980. Uh, you know, and, and of course, uh, 81, uh, high fidelity came out, and, sure. but still, I didn't know about the rock songs. All I knew was, was the radio songs, the, you know, the hit, the hit ballads. And I thought they were kind of, you know, maybe like an air supply. <laughs> right. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know it was, you know, I just didn't, you know, I didn't know what the live shows were like. So I wasn't that excited, but it was like, okay, it sounds like a good gig. So I went down and I played. Um, I got the gig, uh, I guess, um, you know, as, um, I've been told since, um, I was the first guy to play and, uh, Kevin, I guess knew right away that, that I was the one, even before anybody else played, he, they tried to, you know, they talked about, well, do we, why should we even bother hearing these other guys? I know this is, you know, and so anyway, one of the things that helped me on that gig was some vintage drums that I had bought when I was down in Florida with Spencer Davis at a place. And I, I had this um, 1923 to 25-ish um, Ludwig Stipplegold snare, which is uh, basically a black beauty with uh the sprayed on finish that looks like gold nuggets. Um, although this drum as old as it was, didn't look like gold nuggets anymore, yeah. but it sounded like one. So I, I brought that in and that's, that was the drum I auditioned with. And, uh, Kevin just fell in love with that drum right away. Um, which was cool, you know, yeah, cause he, you know, he plays up, 
I don't know, 1954 no-caster, you know, it's before they named it <laughs> Telecaster. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, so he was in, you know, into the vintage stuff. And so he loved that, and he loved the drum. And um, I got the gig, and uh, I remember I had a I had a deal with Tama at the time. I was, I was uh, you know, um, an indoor seat for Tama, and uh, I didn't want to really bring that, you know, Ludwig Snare out on the road, and so I bring all my new Tama drums in to start rehearsal with the band, and and Kevin looks around almost immediately and says, "Where's that drum? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? It's old. I can't take it on the road. I'll you know I'll kill it." And he said, "No, no, no. We hired you and that drum." Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I I uh, just changed the hoops out a little bit on that drum uh, so I would kill it and uh, beat the hell out of it for a couple of years on the road, which which is fine. You know, I, I buy drums and I have a, a pretty good collection nowadays of, of vintage stuff. I, I probably have 15, you know, 20s, 30s Black Beauties and all kinds of, you know, 30s, 40s Radio Kings and just ladies and you, you name it. I got way too many drums. But, um, don't we, all? you know, I, <laughs> it was cool that, that, you know, that I, you know, that, that had some knowledge of that and started collecting and had some cool drums. Sure. Well, and, you know, even nowadays, you know, and, and we kind of talked about this on the phone the other day, um, your drum tech that you have out with you, uh, on the tour is John Aldridge and anybody that knows anything about, you know, Ludwig metal snare drums will know John's name, uh, because he is the master engraver for Ludwig, you know? So oh, yeah. how, how cool mm-hmm. is it to have John out there on the road with you every day? Do you guys just geek out on drums every single day? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, I, I my my snare drums now are just incredible. I mean, and and John, if he gets bored, he starts engraving other things. He he's engraved all you know my rims mounts on the toms and <laughs> he'll, so he'll cool. engrave the cowbells and you know, you know it's like nobody ever sees it but me and him. You know, and maybe a few other geeks that uh, you know it's just way cool stuff. Yeah, it's just and John, so cool. John's a great tech. He's a great tuner. And he's a good drummer, actually. He just uh, doesn't have the stamina that I have. <laughs> Thank God. Well, or the hair. Or the hair. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've mentioned the hair three or four times now. You know, I mean, there's there's got to be something to it. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, I will say this, you know, for, for our listeners who... You know, I think a lot of people, again, going back to kind of the big monster record from 1981, High Infidelity, you know, everybody knows Ario Speedwagon from that era for sure, because you, you couldn't escape those songs. And, you know, my connection with Ario Speedwagon, I've got a brother that's, you know, 13 years my senior. And REO Speedwagon was his favorite band of all time. So, I mean, I grew, uh, cool. I, I grew up with that music playing in the house all the time, you know. Um, so it, it was kind of undeniable to me for sure. But, you know, 
I've seen you guys live and, you know, obviously you have to play the hits. I mean, everybody knows that when you're out on the road, you got to play the hits. But, man, you guys are a rocking band. It's you're, you're, Oh, yeah. You know, you're not going to a top 40 show where all you're going to hear is, you know, keep on loving you and and, uh, uh, you know, uh, can't fight this feeling. You know, I saw um, Bruce, your bass player, singing, you know, back on the road again. And that's. I mean, that's undeniable. That is a hard rock song, you know, and it's, oh, yeah. and it's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you guys go about constructing your set lists and, and some of the stuff that maybe our listeners don't know about REO Speedwagon. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> well, you know, I, I finished, I, well, when I was talking about REO before, I wasn't that into it, but uh, it didn't take me long to, to get it, uh, you know, playing gigs. And I remember a gig early on, you know, of course we started slow, uh, you know, played a few clubs and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, things, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of transition in the band with Gary Richrath leaving and then also Alan leaving. Um, so this was kind of a new band. Um, so, uh, but anyway, we're playing gigs and, uh, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, you know, they, uh, one great thing, they made me a, a member of the band immediately. No, never a sideman, you know? So from day one, you know, I was a fifth member of REO Speedwagon. That's awesome. Really cool. That doesn't yeah. happen anymore, usually. <laughs> nope, it doesn't. Yeah, you, that's very, very rare these days, and I sure appreciate the guys for for doing that. But it's worked, um, you know, well for them too. They've gotten my loyalty for twenty eight years, and uh, you know, I was still getting calls. I mean, when I when I got the REO gig, I had I had just gotten the Belinda Carlisle gig, and I had just gotten the um, Richard Marks gigs gig off. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I mean, that yeah. was, that was the biggest of the big at that time. I mean, it really was. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like, you know, things are up, things were popping. It was like, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was, um, you know, it kind of a little bit in demand there, you know, uh, uh, and I thought I could do um, REO Speedwagon because we, we were going in the studio to, to do a record. And, um, they, they, unfortunately they had already spent a lot of time and effort in the studio and didn't have any tracks. This was after Ellen left and, um, they had, uh, a Graham Lear from Santana and, um, Gino Benelli was, was playing drums. He, he originally took Alan's place for uh, a minute and, um, they were, they just weren't uh, getting what they wanted in the studio. So, um, then they, they hired, they got, uh, Russ Kunkel to come in and play a little bit, and uh, that didn't work out for what they wanted. And then Jeff Picaro went in and played a couple of songs, uh, which they did keep. And but I think at that point, Kevin, especially, just said, "You know, this this doesn't feel right. Uh, we've always been a band. We we want it to be a band. We we want the guy who plays on the records to be in the band and tour." So anyway, so I got it. I got the gig, and then, and then uh, we're in the studio recording, and and I got this Belinda gig on on the side. And uh, the the thing with uh, Richard didn't work out. We we couldn't agree on money, so I I just told him thanks, but no thanks. Um, and um, but uh, they but Aria, I went to Aria, and I said, well, okay, you know, I'm I, I can 
do this gig for like six weeks with Belinda, you know, I, I'll spend two or three weeks in the studio with you guys. And, and they said, oh, that'll be fine. Yeah, you can do that. So I committed to the Belinda thing. And then when we went in the studio, um, they decided that maybe that wasn't a good idea. Yeah. So anyway, so it, I it, and then I finished my tracks in less than two weeks. They'd already been in the studio for over a month that didn't have a track. So um, I finished the record uh, and then, you know, it was time to go out with Belinda. And they said, um, you know, no, no, or, or, you know, I, we were still in the studio recording. I hadn't finished yet. Um, and uh, but they put the 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 nicks on the uh the Belinda Carlisle thing. So anyway, so I didn't get to do that even though I got the gig. But um but anyway, but with REO also, um once we started playing some good gigs and, and I saw what it was and how the audience reacted to the songs and, and how, you know, the band was more than just uh, a couple of big ballads. Um I remember playing a gig in Phoenix at the uh, veterans um, arena where the Phoenix Suns at that time played and it was I think it was 4th of July or something and it was a packed stadium or an arena and uh, we had one of the big butts and all the lighters come out and you know 14,000 people in there or something and it was like holy shit, yeah this yeah. is pretty cool I think I can hang with this you know yeah for sure so, yeah it was great so well, I mean, um, you know, I think what's, you know, obviously you guys have been doing, um, you know, and, and I don't know if it's an every year or every other year kind of thing, but you guys have been going out quite a bit with sticks um, and doing, you know, kind of long runs where, you know, you guys will headline one night, sticks headlines the next night, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think it's a great package that's out there quite honestly um you know i think the two bands complement each other really really well um you know and you mentioned dave amato earlier you know who who is uh, you said you're senior in the band by three months you know just to uh, to show a what a big rock and roll geek i am but um you know he's a bona fide rock guitarist that guy sang backup on motley crew records oh yeah <laughs> you know yeah, i mean sure. he, he was kind yeah, of the sec- on girls 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 yeah that's yeah, I mean, he was kind of the secret weapon for a lot of those bands in that era. He would go in the studio and do those super high harmonies. I mean, how cool is it hitting the stage every night? You know, you're on the road with with sticks and, um, it, you know, I mean, that's just a huge rock show. But you've got a, a bona fide, you know, guitar god there and you've got Kevin Cronin and, and Bruce Hall, fantastic bass player. How cool is that gig every night, man? I mean, really? <laughs> you know what? It's it's great. It really is great. Um, you know, at this point in time, we're all tired of traveling. <laughs> well, yeah. But, but that hour and a half, two hours on stage is just just uh, it's it's the gravy, man. It's it's like it's the you know uh, our motto is uh, we get paid for traveling. We play for free. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think all of us say that, you know, my, my joke, my, my joke is, you know, I play for free. You're paying me to set up and tear down at the the end of the night, you know? Yeah. So, so what does the future hold for, for REO Speedwagon? I mean, you know, I, obviously, you know, um, 
you guys have been around for a long time. You've been in the band 28 years, as we discussed. But, you know, any new music on the horizon or are you guys, um, you know, happy to, to do your runs every year, every other year? I mean, what does the future hold? Well, we have toured every year for 28 years. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, we don't plan to stop that anytime soon. Um, you know, I think uh, the only thing that will will um, curtail that is is uh, if someone's health gets bad. Um, you know, there are no no plans at this point to not tour. Um, the last few years have been uh, as good as any years that we we've had since I've been in the band. You know, since the uh, you know the the heyday of the you know early '80s, um, we're playing better gigs, um, good audiences, uh, you know, more money, um, you know, all the all the good stuff. Um, and um, you know, uh, we can't sell arenas by ourselves or sheds as we call them the outdoor amphitheaters but uh, we can usually find someone to team up with like a sticks or you know um, we just finished that uh, tour with sticks we did last year and then we did about five weeks uh, early this year with that and uh, we we just finished last week Um, and then uh, we're just playing a bunch of shows by ourselves for um, a couple of months, and then we go out with Chicago for the uh, remainder of the summer. Oh, and wow, we'll okay. Be, yeah, we'll be uh, <clears throat> in the middle slot with Chicago, whereas with Sticks, it's a co-headlining thing. We, we, you know, it's total, you know, there's, you know, there's no upper billing, and we just, you know, we just book the shows and then decide who's going to close what and divvy them up. There's no, you know, I mean, obviously they, you know, they have some markets where they might be stronger than us and vice versa. Sure. You know, we try to honor that, but, uh, but other, otherwise it's just like, okay, you take this gig, we'll take that one. You take that one, we'll take this one. And it's been a, a, a great working situation. Uh, we love all those guys. Our, our crews get along together. I mean, it, it's just a fabulous thing. And, you know, um, even though it seems like we do it about every other year with them, uh, uh, last year was the first time in six years that we had toured with them. So, um, yeah, we were wow, ready. Has it really and, been and that the long? Audiences wow. were ready. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't believe it's been that long. You know, I mean, the years start running together. <laughs> after a while well you know and you know here's the drum geek in me coming out you know um what a monster sticks has behind the the drums in in todd Zuckerman, right i mean oh yeah (laughs) how cool is it to be out on the road with that cat oh it's great you know what i I, you know i admire todd's playing uh you know his technique and uh, you know it's just he's, he's a monster yeah it's great i you know he's taught me a lot of stuff you know and i steal a lot of stuff from todd and it's great i try not to do too much because i don't want to play that much you know and i don't <laughs> think i don't think uh REO speedwagon songs would would allow me to play that much but but uh Touché. i love todd we're buds man and uh even um on this um this last sticks tour, we had um, Don Felder from the Eagles opening all the shows with Steve DeStanislau playing drums, who's no slouch either. He's a really great, grooving drummer. 
so the three of us together it was it was a it was a force to be reckoned with you know every night a real hoot i'm sure um and- oh yeah it was great mm-hmm. you know and yeah, it was so much fun. Well, that's awesome. Well, uh, Brian, um, you know, just I and I want to be respectful of your time. I know you you took a flight today to get to where you were going so that you guys can do some shows and, and you're out on a run right now. But I, I do want to ask just, you know, um, a, a couple of final questions. Who were your biggest influences coming up? I mean, who, who are the guys that that get your juices going in terms of drummers? Well, I think early on, uh, you know, but uh, you know, I, 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 I didn't even know who the guys were. Well, my first inspiration was Cubby from the the Mouseketeers, for sure. You know, seeing him on on TV and um, uh, what's a uh, 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 little Ricky on um, you know Lucy show? Yeah. Little, little Ricky was badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, I think those were early in. I mean, really, it's like, wow, they can do that. That might be fun. And then, of course, you know, uh, growing up, uh, man, I was into the soul music, you know, and so I, I loved uh, those you know, all those drummers, and I didn't know who they were. They were pretty much anonymous, but but some about those grooves, man, it was just like the right thing at the right time. Uh, so all the, all the James Brown drummers and all those uh, you know the guys that played on those Stax records and stuff and yeah, Al Jackson uh, Jr. Yeah, all the Motown. It was, it was great. Even Stevie Wonder, geez, what a drummer! What, yeah. what great feeling ideas and oh. and then later on, I, I remember uh, like Cream and Chicago, of course, were big uh, influences. Uh, you know, and uh, just uh, there's so many great drummers. I hate them all. <laughs> Me too, you know, and I, I, I jokingly say to a lot of my guests on the show, you know, I, I have to hate you because you're so much better than me. You know, I, it's, <laughs> it's kind of my, right. my little joke, you know, but, uh, right. um, you know, what's cool about us drummers, you know, that, that I think is different from, you know, guitarists, and I'm not trying to put guitarists down or anything like that, but, you know, us drummers, we give credit when we steal things. You know, I mean, it's it's like we're at least me. I'm always taking something from somebody else's playing and adapting it to, to my playing. But I'll give credit, you know, and, and right. it's like, oh, uh-huh. you know, no, no, no. This lick, you know, I, I picked up from watching Brian hit in REO Speedwagon. Guitarists are just like, no, I invented that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I know. You know, and, you know what? I, I think drummers have a, a, a better camaraderie in general. You know, uh, than than a lot of other players and musicians, singers. You know, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a fraternity of drummers. You know that. Uh, you know, we're all cheering for each other, and uh, you know. Absolutely, and, and yeah. you know, I think it's and just we a, hang, we hang. Yeah, it's a know? it's a cool brotherhood, and you know that was you know certainly my hopes for this show when I started it up. You know, a couple of months back was you know just two guys talking about drums and music. You know, I mean that's really what I wanted this show to be, and and that's what it's turned into, and I'm I'm very blessed. Um, Brian, one final thing that that I want to touch on before we let you go, I'm going to let you get a good night's sleep so you can uh, play a, a slamming show tomorrow night. Um, one thing that we do with 
all of our guests is we ask for, you know, a piece of advice for for other drummers or other musicians. And it can really touch on on anything you want it to. But share a good piece of advice that you think might help our listeners. Man, you know, there um, there's so many different avenues nowadays uh, to get heard, uh, you know, uh, I get seen and stuff. I mean, it's a different world than, you know, when I was, uh, you know, in the early 80s trying to make it in L.A. Um, One suggestion, though, I I, I think it really helps to be in in an area. I mean, if you want to play drums in a, you know, in a famous rock or, or whatever kind of band, you need to be somewhere where those bands are. If you're living in Podunk, Kentucky, uh, you know, and you're thinking you're going to be a rock star, that might be a little tough, yeah. you know. So, uh, I, 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 you know, I mean, there's Nashville, there's New York, there's L.A. I'm sure there's, you know, there was Seattle at one time, although I don't think it would be the place you'd want to move right now, being a drummer. But, um, you know, you kind of got to go where the, you know, where the sun shines, you know, where 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 this stuff's happening unless you just get lucky and you grow up and your your high school buddies get really good and you've got a, a, a different unique sound and you make a noise and you get signed and everything's rosy so you know there there's no you know one you know one size fits all for anyone um but um, my advice would, would just you know and and Play, uh, practice when you're young. I mean, practice when you're old too, but you, you'll have a lot more time to practice when you're young than when you get older, when you're working all the time, when you have a family, when you have commitments, you have, you know, you know, stress, things, you know, just life happening. And, and it happens so much quicker now than it used to. So I would say definitely, uh, you know, don't, don't put yourself out there too early. Because you know you might only get one or two shots, and if you blow those first two shots, you know yeah. they may be over. So. Yeah, I, it, you're exactly right, and you know it's um, I, so many young folks today. You know, ask what is the shortcut? How do I get there? And you know, I, we jokingly say a, a lot of times, you know, I can get online and find you know a, a, an eight year old that can outplay me. You know, I mean, it's not hard to to search it out and find it now. Everybody's a good player these days, it seems like. Um, right. You know, and, and it's not lost on me that, you know, you, there is a certain amount of luck involved, but there is no magic bullet. There is no shortcut and, and no amount of, you know, videos or, you know, Facebook likes or whatever is, is going to give you a living in the music industry. That's that's for certain. Right. Yeah. You know, if, if I could say one other thing, uh, you know, um, it's not all about playing fast or, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, gigs is, uh, you know, I mean, drummers don't hire drummers, you know, for one thing. <laughs> Thank God for <laughs> so, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I've never gotten a job from another drummer. Um, I might got turned on to one, but only because they couldn't do it, but, but never uh, <laughs> hired by another drummer to play on anything. But, um, what am I get, uh, just, you know, people want to feel good. Uh, that you, if you're, if you can make 
people feel good when you're playing with them, other other musicians. That that's what they want to know. That's what they want to feel. They don't they don't want to hear your fastest riff over and over. They want to they want to know that you can groove and feel the beat where they feel it and 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 make 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 the music sing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's at the end of the day, it's all about the groove and and making the dudes and and ladies in your band uh, know that that the foundation is going to be there no matter what. That's the <laughs> that's the name yep. of the game. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. We really do appreciate it. Uh, folks, Ario Speedwagon is out there this uh, spring and summer. Um, go see these guys. They will be coming to a to a city near you. Pick up your tickets. Go check them out. Uh, Brian, you're welcome on this program anytime, sir. Whenever your uh, schedule will allow, we'd love to have you back. Well, thanks. I, you know, I'd like to give a few props here if I could. Sure. Real quick, uh, I'd like to thank my wonderful drum tech, John Aldrich. Uh, he's, you know, it's, it, it is a blessing to have a guy like that working for me, setting up, tuning, you know, making my drums look pretty every night. Um, also, uh, Ludwig Zildjian, Vic Firth, Evans Heads, um, Axis Pedals, Gibraltar Hardware. I'm sure I'm going to probably leave some out. LP Percussion, um, Pentec Percussion, um, and I hope that covers it. Probably not. <laughs> it's it, it, great to be famous. It, 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 famous. For sure, you know, and, and <laughs> you know, a lot of folks um, ask me, you know, they'll, they'll say, you know, these gear companies and things, and, and what you just did right there is exactly what our gear companies want us to do, and that's spread the word. And, um, you know, you and I have both been very blessed to have really good relationships with these great uh, gear companies that keep us going out there. So uh, we appreciate appreciate you taking care of your companies that take care of you. And if folks, if you haven't seen Brian's beautiful Ludwig kit that he's touring with, do a couple of real quick internet searches because that is one fancy uh, <laughs> outfit you've got out there on the road, Brian. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It, it really right. is. Brian, Jamie, th thank you so much. Thank you, sir. And uh, we'll talk to you real soon. All right, buddy. All right. See ya. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for episode number 15 of the Drum Shuffle. As always, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in today. You are not going to want to miss some of the guests that we have scheduled for upcoming episodes of this show. Um, I never in my wildest imagination could have dreamed of some of the emails uh, that I get and from from some of the guys I get them from and and phone calls. Uh, it's just amazing. And, and as our show continues to grow, we are going to continue bringing you uh, interviews with some of the greatest drummers to have ever played any type of music. So we want you to keep tuning in. So hit the subscribe button. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. As always, keep your emails coming to us. We love hearing from you throughout the week. That email address is the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is the drum And my website is jamieeds.com. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>